Hey guys, thanks for joining me on another episode of the Brevity Code Podcast. Today I sat with Mike Mariner from Road Trip Nation. He's one of the founding partners from an Orange County-based company. Um, he's it's an amazing success story and, and just has a million nuggets of good information. Um, great reference material. Grab your pen, grab your laptop, take notes when this guy's talking. He's um, he's a special guy. I'm totally energized by our conversation and... Um, I hope you get as much information out of it as I did. And before I forget, I want to let you guys know, uh, obviously you can find the podcast on the, on the website, uh, brevitycode.com, uh, iTunes, and Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn. So check us out across those platforms. Um, we're at Brevity Code Show on uh, Instagram. Uh, it's been a while. We're back. I'm going to try to be a little more consistent. Hope you enjoy. On the Brevity Code podcast, we'll explore a wide range of topics from the very people that give form and color to our world. We'll hear from artists, brand builders, industry leaders, pro athletes, fitness and endurance coaches, philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and many others. Through their actions, they enrich us with their vision, creativity, and bravery. Our guests have all been successful by flying in the face of conventional wisdom. We'll learn from them the ways in which we can apply that very knowledge to our own path and toward our own self-fulfillment. All right, I am here with my longtime friend, Mike Mariner. Welcome to the Brevity Code Podcast. Thank you for joining today. Um, so stoked to have you on. You're such a good dude, good energy, and I know we're going to have a great conversation. Um, so when uh, I, I think we, we we should go all the way back and 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 give a, a framework for our relationship, how we came to be, and then I would love for you to take a few minutes and and let the audience um, know what Road Trip Nation is all about and how it came to be, and then I think we can kind of base the conversation from there. Yeah. So I guess, gosh, starting with the beginning, um, you know, was that, it was almost 18 years ago now. And, uh, me and my two buddies, you know, were coming out of college and decided to take this road trip across America. And in this old beat up, we got our hands on this old beat up motorhome, painted it green because the green paint was on sale at Home Depot, no real branding decision or anything like that. Um, and we, 80, we, you know, we interviewed over 84 leaders all across America in three months. And you were obviously, of course, you know, one of those people at, at Paul Frank when we swung the, the motorhome through your uh, through your corporate headquarters <laughs> in the parking lot. You had just moved in that day, I remember, and you guys were getting all tripped out because you had to like, you know, ride scooters across the place, the warehouse space and everything. And um, yeah, that was, a, that was a really cool stop on that road trip, you know, and, and I think, you know, I mean, any anyone at a major life inflection point. And I think graduating from college is one of those life inflection inflection points where you think like, okay, great. I'm a college grad. I'm set. Like the world is my oyster. I'm going to go. And then, but that's just not the reality. You know, the, the real life sets in and you're like, holy shit, what am I, what am I actually going to do? You know? So I think we, we just really hope that that road trip for us would just give us the confidence and visibility as to what are the different things we could do with our future, you know? So and, and so, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't the story goes or legend has it you were you you surf and and um, you guys were out in the water and wasn't it the contemplative like, hey, I, I can I can follow this road and and this would be a perfectly road perfectly good road to go down 
Um, but I don't know if this is ultimately what I want to do. Were you going to go to a post-grad kind of college yeah. and, and, and focus yeah. in? or Totally. I was pre-med and I was like gearing, fixing to go to medical school. And, um, you know, my buddy Nathan was full business major and he was like fixing to be a business consultant. And Brian, my our third buddy we played water polo with, he was going to go work for the family business. And you know, we had these ideas of what that would mean. And then we all kind of had that proverbial quarter life crisis where it was like, you know, I mean, Nathan is like the most creative, you know, like non business consultant person you could ever meet. Like he, he's now a creative director at road trip nation. And he rarely like I've he's happiest, not in a collared shirt of any kind and not wearing shoes, you know, and like thinking about <laughs> him working for McKinsey or Bain, is just like a joke, you know? And likewise for me, like, I, I have major attention problems, you know, like there's no way I could just go into one office every day forever, you know, and like work in a hospital around clean surgical things, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, so yeah, we all kind of had that freak out moment where we just kind of stress tested our paths. So it's hard because you put so much money and college education into these very linear paths. And then you're like, shit, this is like, totally not what we were, what I was meant to do, you know, and it's really hard. And that, that's part of what we're trying to change now with Road Trip Nation is that students should be, students should be doing more intentional self and career reflection earlier before they choose their major. Now with the cost of higher education, it's, it's a travesty for someone to not have enough thoughtful reflection before choosing their post-secondary pathway and spending a gazillion dollars. Um, you know, to get to the end of it and say, oh, shit, this is not really what I was meant to do, you know, and, and in many cases, it's all it's not linear. And that's okay. Like for me, my biology degree that I got, like, totally helps me in road trip nation. And I'm totally serious about that. Like the, the scientific method, the analysis, the critical thinking, it's like, I think being an entrepreneur today, getting really rigorous training in the scientific method, I think is arguably like a better training than like a business degree just because there's no business textbook for entrepreneurship, you know, there's, it's, it's really more about just trial and error analysis, you know, like one step, one foot in front of the other. So, um, yeah. So a lot, a lot to unpack and I don't want to get too far ahead, but while we're on the subject, um, g- general question from me, um, you know, as someone who sounds like fit into the mold you're describing, which was, you know, I was an undeclared major. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had, as you know from from my session, I had a father who was a very sort of, you know, entrepreneurial, uh, very traditional, here's your path, you're going to follow this path. Uh, even though he, he himself was, was very entrepreneurial, he was pushing me in this very sort of, you're going to be a business major, you're going to get out, you're going to go into outside sales, you're going to have a golf membership and everything, your life's going to be great. And like, that's all born out of love, right? But but there was no consideration or never once the question of, well, what is it that you actually enjoy doing? Right. And, and mine was, was, uh, was, was music and fashion, which I think was a bit repulsive to him perhaps like, well, how do you make a job out of that? And the people that have those jobs might be someone who I don't really want you to associate with whatever, I am not going to put words in his mouth, but essentially that. So, so here I am grappling with, my major, I end up being a bizcom major because I feel like maybe there's some future opening and opportunity there. And and I, I to your point, I think it was a bit of a travesty. I I may maybe should have gone 
into design school from there. And so there's this whole talk nowadays about, you know, what does a college path looks like look like? And how how much should we be focusing more on trade school opportunities and pushing and funneling kids that direction? I mean, you've got a lot of experience here. I, I don't. So what do you what do you share? What are your thoughts there as far as like, you know, trade school versus a four year or a, as a post option? Like where yeah. oh, where are we sure. heading? Oh no, I mean that's that's like, yeah, fast forward road trip nation 18 years later. This is like our jam, you know. We like we help you know, think about the future of work through really deep, rich storytelling, you know, by learning from people in different careers and doing it in place-based ways and thematic ways. And, and, and we're out there, you know, we have a fleet of nine green motorhomes in our back lot. We're out there every year talking to people about the future of work and their careers and like, where is it all trending, you know? And one of the biggest trends we're seeing is this idea that like education is no longer linear, you know, like those days are over. And, And even like, trade school, non-trade school, it's more circular. So like the average Gen Z person will have 12 careers in their life, right? Like that's like not 12 jobs, like 12 careers. So everything's getting faster. So like, like the idea of like going to school for four years, majoring in, in X and spending another 50 years in that career are like gone. Everything's changing so quickly. You'll have to, you know, go to school, enter into a field, Things will change. You go back to school, get retrained, get new skills, re-enter the workforce. So you, it's really more about lifelong learning and and learning how to learn. There, there, I've been, you know, we've been seeing all this interesting stuff. Like, what are the characteristics that people will need for the future of work? And like now, as a parent, as I know you are too, you think about this through kids. Like, what are the skills that my kids will need? Like, and it's not super technical. You know, it's not like like even coding could be automated. I read some recent reports on. You know, it's, it's much more like creativity and learn like learning how to learn you know that's like the biggest asset is someone who's adaptable and then can, can continually sharpen the saw um are these so. completely unreliable what you just said scares me like i think about me being this you know 20 years in one lane right in in fashion apparel and yeah of course that touches on branding and marketing and, and design and, and operations and, and all these various fields within. Now, when you say that, you know, our children, perhaps this is going to, or this is happening now, or this is at the forefront of this now, uh, when they have these career changes, are these like changes that are within the realm of their core competencies uh, with their user? Are these completely, I mean, are we talking going, you know, from, you know, being a, a photographer to perhaps um, an art director where it's, you could kind of see like how that could, could, could dovetail or is this completely not the same? I think it's um, a little bit of everything. So, but the cool thing is that actually the, the barriers to entry <clears throat> to swivel between pretty radically different fields getting way, way lower because the technical expertise needed for those fields is getting less. So like, you know, it, it, say you want to get into coding in 10 years, you know, like you don't need four years of a computer science degree from Stanford to be in a coding. It's almost more like music. You need kind of vision and creativity and good ideas. And the coding is more of a tool to do that, you know, so that, and that's happening across a lot of fields. Um, You'll always have a few fields like being a surgeon or something, but even then a lot of that will be automated, you know? So it, it's... And VR. Yeah, I know. Totally. So like, I mean, 
you know, look, I think there's good things and bad things about the future of work. You know, there the the bad things are well are well publicized. The robots are coming and they will take a lot of jobs um, and it will disproportionately hurt people from disadvantaged backgrounds, which is the main issue by far is that people that look like you and I are going to be disproportionately better. And people that are coming from lower income, high risk backgrounds are going to be automated out of a lot of jobs. So there, there are some really serious, like thoughtful um, efforts that need to go into retraining, you know, and, and creating lower cost, more efficient, more flexible forms of post-secondary education for a single mom or a military veteran that needs to get retrained. That, that is actually, I think like the issue of our, of our lifetime, you know, is like, like if you want to talk about saving democracy, everything, it's literally retraining for adult workers to give them, you know, like viable, thriving, meaningful lifestyles. The, the upside is that like they're talking about this in the California Central Valley right now. Um, like the picking class, the picking class of jobs will go away, right? It'll be ob- automated by drones, that kind of thing. But, and, and so they, they call that the, the low skilled labor group will be, those jobs will be going away in many cases, but there, there is a new semi-skilled job layer opening up that does require some education, but not a lot. You know, it requires like maybe a nine month credential. And if you can do that, you can operate a drone and you can get paid $65,000 a year instead of seven bucks an hour, you know? And so there, there is the chance with retraining to help people, you know, elevate their lives, it, but it's just really complicated. So. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. When, um, when do you forecast or what are you seeing as far as when, when these jobs really will start to kind of evaporate? Is this a five year, 10 year, 20 year? What does it look like? Yeah, I guess like first I should caveat that like I'm definitely not an expert in the future of work. More we're more like the storytellers who do a lot of <laughs> who, who do a lot of listening of the experts and a, and a lot of listening of a lot of different industries. Um, but this is just more like my amalgamation of everything we see on the road and talking to a lot of different types of people. So I mean, the only real answer is nobody knows, and that it's the the, the it's it's definitely trans. It's definitely definitely shifting. You know, some people say sooner than what people say, some people say that there are a bunch of, there's a really good McKinsey report out on the future of work. It's just the McKinsey's report in the future of work. That's a really good one to, to lean on. I don't have the data right in front of me, but it's, it, there's a lot of shifts coming. We, we are definitely at the crux or the crossroads of one of the largest economic shifts, like in the history of America. And it's really important to be thoughtful about what that means for vulnerable populations. If you're a parent, think about what it means for your, for your kids if you're a concerned citizen and concerned about democracy, what that means for vulnerable populations who stand to be hurt by that transition. And, you know, the upside is that there's a lot of opportunity to, you know, to help and create new solutions and, you know, do what you really want to do with your life. You know, like that's where one of the, my favorite examples of someone that we interviewed was Sir Ken Robinson, um, he's like the big guy who has the Ted talk on creativity and education. If you haven't seen the Ted talk of Sir Ken Robinson, it's just one of the best Ted talks out there on the future of education, uh, and how creativity is what it's really all about. And he, his Ted talk was like 10 years ago, but it was so prophetic with everything that's happening now. Just the fact that music education, creativity, education, all these things that have been squeezed out of schools are actually the things that really will 
differentiate people in the future. And, you know, we interviewed him on one of our road trips and he told us that the world of careers is kind of like the world of television. He said, when I was growing up in England, there was four TV channels. It was network TV. It was, you know, in America, it's CBS, NBC, ABC and Fox, whatever. And there was no digital TV, right? So like, and that was the case with careers, like back in the 50s and 60s, same thing. You could be a postman, a firefighter, a doctor, a lawyer. And, and, and in a lot of ways, like school and family and culture is still ingrained in that mindset of like, choose your career, choose your post in society, get training for it. Boom, boom, boom. That's totally being turned on its head where the good thing is that now if you have a really weird idea, like if you want to create a company out of road tripping or a company out of a monkey, you know, like you, you can go do that. You, th there are more tools at your fingertips to do things that you really believe in. Like we happen to really care about road tripping and inspiring people to think more expansively about their futures and sharing those stories, people that have done that. We couldn't have started Road Trip Nation even two years before because the Sony VX2000 video camera came out. It was the first, you know, camera under $3,000 that you could buy. That was television grade, you know, HD content. And that was, a, it wasn't HD, but it was just television grade digital content. That was, that was a perfect example of technology accelerating and, and giving and giving people, you know, the power of ideas to like come out, you know? Yeah. I mean, and we've come full circle and I, and there was so many good jumping off points there too. Like we could, we, and I don't think we need to, but this whole idea of like universal basic income, right? Um, we don't have to have discussion on it, but, but what you're talking about at first blush from my point of view was, well, that's ridiculous. But then the more you really think about that idea and like you're saying, the workforce displacement and, and who is actually going to be affected and the, the amount of population that, that could be largely affected is, is, is dramatic and a, and a huge issue, like you said, that faces our democracy. Um, so yeah, caveat on that. But so let's let's go um, let's go back to because yeah, <laughs> there's so much good stuff the the bright green RV. So like you said, it wasn't it wasn't a branding decision. Uh, what was it like? Was the paint on sale or what? I mean, what? How did it come to be yeah, green? I was, yeah, I still remember that day. It was you know we were 22 years old. It was whatever 17, 18 years ago, and we were you know trying to, we were going on this road trip just to try to figure out you know, just to talk to people in different careers. And the, the RV was my buddy, Brian's parents, family RV. They're getting rid of it. it was old 1984 Fleetwood Pace Arrow. You know, I, mean, I thought it was beautiful, but it was like really broken down. And the, the color was like brown and orange, you know, yellow. So we, yeah, the paint was on sale at Home Depot for like $3 <laughs> a gallon. We're like, great, we'll buy it. We'll take all of it. We just literally painted the whole motorhome green. And it's, it's become iconic because now we have a fleet. We have nine of these things, you know, they're yeah. newer than the old one. But yeah, they're, it's the whole... You know, it's just, it was just kind of the spirit of that idea. We didn't do it to create a business. It wasn't a business plan. It was just, it was a project, you know, and we were, for the first five years of Road Trip Nation, we kept calling it a project because we were so insecure about it being something that was lasting, you know, like I remember Nathan, my buddy always saying like, Hey, you've got to stop calling it a project. And I, I always just felt insecure that like, I don't know that we were, you know, building something bigger or longer lasting or something, you know, but so how was your, so you, you know, you, you guys kind of come up with this plan while you're, you're surfing and, and you, you want to do this and you know, you're, you're, as far as your parents are concerned, you're going pre-med, like I'm sure they were super proud of that moment. And 
what Mike's going to be. And, you know, maybe, maybe they're a little bit different than mine. I shouldn't put my, my values on your parents, but you know, um, when you guys, when you come home or, or when you have that talk and you go, Hey mom, dad, I have an announcement to make. I, I'm going to go live in an RV and travel around and, and, and talk to people and find out about their career paths and, and what makes, what gets them out of bed and what, what gets them fired up to, to, you know, and live the life they're living. Why are they doing that? What do they say to you? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's all born out of love, as you said, you know, and, and I think, I, I think, I mean, and to be fair, like if my kids came home and were like, Hey, I'm gonna, not going to go to med school. I'm going to like do this, do start a road, a company about road trips. Like I'd be like, Oh, what's the business model? What's, you know, like, how does it, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, it didn't make sense for the first five years. You know, I mean, we, we wrote a book and it was, we were on the today show and we had a couple wins and that was kind of, I think, I think when the book came out, our parents were all like, okay, this is, this is a real thing. It's, it's a book, you know, like there's yeah. people that seem to like title it. Okay. It's a, it's a book. I'm like, no, not really. It's not really just a book, but they're like, they, at least so they could like call it something. It's like, okay, it's a book project, you know, or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah. So, right. And, and by the way, I mean, I share the same as sort of like, you know, I remember going to my pops and I'm like, yeah, you know, we're, we're actually selling these vinyl. We're buying dead stock vinyl and we're sewing monkeys on them. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you, what are you, that's crazy. Like, that's not a business. You don't have a business. And then, like you said, and then all of a sudden, you know, out of the gates, you start, you know, Pacific Sunwear puts in a large order and I take it to my dad. And I'm like, look, we need to get financing. Like, what do we do here? And he's like, oh, that's real. Okay. Let me help you. You know, that, that, and that, that, that's actually, I think those characteristics for like the future of work are like, that's something you can't automate, you know, how, like the, the, that's what, that's what gets me excited about the future of work is, you know, the power of ideas, having more opportunities to kind of show themselves and, and not every, I think when people think of entrepreneurship, they think about it as like Mark Zuckerberg or Google or yeah. getting venture capital. It's like, there are so many forms of entrepreneurship. Like we would consider ourselves like social entrepreneurship, you know, like it's a business, but we're still, it's for the public benefit, you know, like there's more creative artistic forms of entrepreneurship, you know, and, um, you know, there's people that have pressed juice stands and, you know, work at the farmer's market and have their own, you know, kombucha businesses. And, you know, I mean, I I really think the future of work is going to have a lot of those passion driven, business entrepreneurial entities, which is so great because there'll be more tools. Shipping will come way down. You know, I mean, that's one of the good things is like, um, you know, if you're a, if you're the best harvester of honey in Kentucky and, and you live in Idaho or California, you know, like you can have, you can have your employees can be every your, your customer base can be everywhere. You know? Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to key in on something you said a minute ago. Um, you know, a lot, well, I would say every, every company, every startup that you hear about now, it's, you know, there's a million good ideas and then they always, they go, okay, well, you know, this generation requires a cause and a give back, right? And then when I look at your, your business model, there's nothing contrived about it. There's nothing like, hey, oh, oh, and the, and we do this, like, like you said, like, you're, you're, you're providing like a public service. You're providing, um, there's, there's, there's meaningful, it's beyond meaningful. It's impactful content 
and information and knowledge that you're sharing. And yeah, sure, you're you're able to um, monetize that as you should, but there's something very genuine about your efforts and the company's efforts and what you guys are putting out there. Um, I'm sure there's causes beyond that you guys are involved in, but maybe yeah. maybe that's some of that. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on. Um, you know, you, you had an exit when you're still there. And I, I think one of the questions I asked you was like, you know, are you happy? Because I feel like um, that's a rare thing. So let's let's put a pin in that. Let's not go there yet. But if, I don't know if you want to speak to some of the, you know, the aspects of your brand that, you know, are genuinely on the give back side. That's just the happy accident. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think that it was always, you know, I think there was always a lot of honesty and, and vulnerability baked into it and just like sincere, you know, we, we, we were never planning to, to have an exit, you know, it was, ne- it was never. And I think that was actually an important thing is that <clears throat> I think it's not a good way. I don't know. There's, there's, um, there's no wrong way to run a business, but at least from our experience, it was really healthy to kind of like have an idea, grow it. We didn't have any investors in Road Trip Nation for 15 years. So we just bootstrapped it and grew really, really slowly over 15 years. It was not a have an idea, win a business plan competition, competition, get 5 million venture capital and just freaking go big or go home and then try again. It was not that. We really loved and cared about what we were doing. It was not just about exiting and if you fail, try again. You know, it was like, no, no, we freaking believe in Road Trip Nation and we're going to make this work because we want to make a difference. And, and so we're going to take our time with it and like end up spending what is now probably a good chunk of our lives, you know, doing it even post exit because we still really care about it. Um, but I think that served us well because we could take our time and, and do it right and, 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 and course correct, you know, when we, if we, when we made mistakes, which we did, you know, and then we built something that was really real. And I think people, and, it, and it's like kind of like Ted too, same thing. Like when you just really slow cook it, you know, like Ted was built over years and years and years. And now it's become this kind of cultural thing. I don't think you build something like that overnight. You know, I think it's like barbecuing. You have to kind of have to like slow cook it to like keep all the, the realness in. Um, so, yeah. Um, were all your partners, you know, generally in alignment with this this line of thought of how we're going to grow this thing and what our mission is i mean obviously you know you've listened to hundreds if not thousands of entrepreneurs speak um, business owners big and small and we're going to get into some of that too Um, but you know for you guys and i i can only put you know my lens on it um, partnerships are, are challenging and difficult and, and not everyone has the same end game and same agenda and same reason for being, um, yeah. what was your dynamic? Yeah, I think we were really lucky on that front because we had, you know, Nate, Brian and I, I mean, Nate and I grew up together. We were like same bus stop growing up. Like at my bus stop growing up was like my future wife, my future business partner, you know, it's like just one of those like lucky bus stop things, you know, and then Brian, and I played water polo, water polo with him all through college. So we, and luckily we really had always like the same value system too, you know, like we never, we were just always kind of like dirt bags, you know, we never really like cared about, I mean, we had families later on and, you know, life gets more complicated, you need more resources. But for many years we were living out of the motor homes and just kind of making it happen, you know, and that's just what it was about, you know? And, um, and yeah, we were all kind of on the same page. I mean, 
we were very, all three of us are very different, which is one thing I really learned from partnerships. I'm sure you've learned it too. You know, it was like people are just different and, and, you know, and, and I think the journey of probably any business is just the journey of keeping those differences together and, and harnessing them. And then, you know, but I think the fact that we were all such good friends helped us stick it out, you know, and we all still work at road trip now. And, um, one of us, Nathan's taking a sabbatical next year for a year. He's like taking his family on a road trip through Mexico, which is awesome. And Brian and I are going to pick up the reins and, and he'll come back, you know, and, and we expect to keep going, but, but yeah, life does change as you get older. It just does, you know, you have families, you have things. And I, I'm definitely grateful that we've been able to go through a lot of life transitions, you know, and, and, and it doesn't mean we always agreed or that we always you know, we're on the same page, but, um, we always kind of, you know, just stuck it out. So, yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about this, um, this, um, slow burn. So you, you, you're in the RV from what I understand, no one had, and correct me if I'm wrong, but no one had any film experience, editing experience, interviewing experience. Um, you know, obviously you're all charismatic, likable guys, but you're going to go, and this just goes back to that great story. Like, wait, you're leaving pre-med and you're going to go do what? And it yeah. sounds like an ill-advised notion, um, but clearly it runs deep. Um, so so you guys are – when you guys first decided you were going to go do this road trip, was there a business plan or was it literally like, hey, we're going to go – we're just going to like get in this van. We're going to go live and we're going to, you know, this sort of, I'm picturing this, I don't know, very free spirited kind of adventuresome. Was there, was there a game plan? There was definitely a plan. So it wasn't just like a happy go lucky drive around the country, talk to people on the street kind of thing. Like we spent our entire senior year cold calling people like yourself, you know, and that was a full cold call, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and Howard Schultz and, all these interesting people that we wanted to talk to. So that way you don't just like pull up to Seattle and interview the founder of Starbucks, you know, yeah. like, and uh, it took an entire year to, to put it together. We were very serious about it, you know, and, um, you know, as to what, whether it was going to become a business after the road trip or a social enterprise as we most, you know, primarily think about it. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, it's funny, like for years I said, we had no real vision post road trip. But then I came across my journal. I'm like a big journal guy. Like I just journal all the time. And especially when I'm on road trips, I just journal and sketch and everything. And I went back to the journal from our first road trip and I found a page and it said road trip nation. It was like documentaries, books, educational programs, and like online community or something like that. And I have, I have no recollection really thinking about that, but it's like, it just shows like the power of getting ideas down on paper when you have them. And it was like, I don't remember that moment, but there was like something on that road trip and we were getting so much inspiration on the road trip. We were talking to all these people about their journeys, how they started their paths and their businesses. And we were just kind of like getting immersed in all of that. And um, yeah, I really wish that for anyone at an inflection point to have some space just to do some like, odyssey work you know just through talking to people and learning from people's stories it's like honestly i feel the most under leveraged undermined like opportunity in the world is just talking to people about their stories period people are willing to and it's not networking that's like 
a cheap version of, you know, of that. It's like, it's just honoring the paths people have taken and getting to where they are today and, and being listening and being thoughtful about like learning from their journey. And people are willing to share, you know, that it, that's the one thing that I think we proved from that road trip was that we, we, we interviewed 84 people over three months and, it, and everyone was really willing to, you know, share, pay it forward, you know? I agree. And this is obviously, you know, the, the, the whole impetus for the podcast movement, right? You get to long form communication. I get to understand your full viewpoint. It's not a soundbite. Uh, we're having a thoughtful conversation that can meander in and out of, you know, historical into topical conversation. I mean, I, it is such a wonderful format. Um, and you guys were doing something, you know, a couple decades prior, um, and, and then sharing it out and, and filming it. And, and, and it's, it's, it's amazing. How do you, so it's one thing to get in an RV and to have a plan. It's another thing to get Howard Schultz on the phone. How, how do you do that? Because I'm sure there's people listening saying like, yeah, okay, Mike and Ryan, like you, you know, you guys are at this point where you can probably get some people on the phone now. I know you can, I don't know, but like, they don't know you. Like, how, how do you do that? How do you, what's the secret sauce? Oh man. It's just resiliency for rejections. Cause you know, everyone sees the 84 people we interviewed, but there's like 500 people we cold called between the three of us, you know, and there's a fourth person, a man on the, on the road trip too. So we all cold called just a ton of people and sent emails and everything. And, but, uh, and then it's just, yeah, just being genuine and, and really making it clear you want nothing from them. This is not, I think people are so used to transactional asks, you know, like I want a donation or I want an internship. When you call and you ask just to listen to someone's story, it's super disarming and super genuine. Um, and, you know, I think that's what it was, you know, it was like a resiliency, like we had to request five times more people than we interviewed and just be just really honoring that we weren't, it wasn't a transactional ask, you know, and, 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 and that was like refreshing and different. And I think when people, and, and I think people caught, like caught that, you know, they were like, okay, these are not, we're, no, there's no angle here. There's no pitch. You know, this is just like a couple of pretty sincere kids trying to learn from people that came before them. And, we also learned the power of social capital though. I mean, by, by doing that, we built a pretty incredible, you know, relationship base of people, you know, who really believed in us and advocated for us. And that became kind of the fertile ground by which we built road trip nation was like all these people who, but we didn't go into it thinking that, you know, we, we went into it. Um, and it became kind of like, I think a study on how to build meaningful relationships and friendships that propel your entire life, you know, and just how, that's a massive thing too. If you look at all the data on the future of work, like social capital is massive. And so better training for kids on how to nurture and develop meaningful relationships in a non-transactional way, I think is another a total rabbit hole, but just like a huge thing. So, yeah. Um, so when you take me back, to, it could be Howard Schultz, could be one of your first interviews so you're, you know, you're in front of Sandra Day O'Connor, right? Um, the Supreme Court Justice, right? So you're in front of these people and, you know, you're, you're not expect not, not that they're placing expectations on you to be this like, you know, um, you know, 60 minute esque type, you know, professional, but were you, 
I mean, were you nervous? Were you intimidated? How much prep did you do? Did you ever fumble hard in front of someone that you really respected and just said, man, I like, I guess I asked a lot of questions there. I guess first, you know, um, when you got in front of someone, you know, what was your expectation on yourself and how you approached that interview? And I guess, was there ever, were you nervous and, and did you fumble? Yeah. Oh, we were always nervous. And the main thing we learned was just the, the power of vulnerability. Um, and that relationships and interviews are like physics. Like you get the equal and opposite reaction of what you put into it, you know? And we still talk about this with every student road trip team we put on the road today is the power, the power of vulnerability and just starting off any conversation um, by talking about your story and where you're at. And we find this is even more important today in the age of social media where like vulnerability is like not even heard of, right? It's like, here's my perfect life on Instagram. Boom, boom, boom. Here's my perfect career path on LinkedIn. Boom, boom, boom. I never had to fail. I never got, I I got every job I ever wanted. I never had to be a bartender or anything. I just skipped through that entire part of my life. So it's really does a disservice to kids and next generation because they see all this and they think that there's no suffering and there's no groveling. And so I I, I think that we really learned and we, we talk about this with all the students that go on the road, like, be honest, like talk about the issues, the shit you're dealing with. If you're a first generation college student, if you're a DACA student, if you're a dreamer, if you face stereotypes from being a woman in science, like talk about that, you'll find common ground. And then by being vulnerable up front, you will get your, your, your kind of conversation partner being equally vulnerable. And then, and then you'll develop a real relationship that could last a lifetime, you know? So that was what we learned. We didn't have to be perfect. We, in fact, if we, if we made mistakes, it was, it almost like added to our vulnerability and our honesty. Cause it was like, Oh, you're not a journalist. Like these are normal people. And that, it helps. Like we, and then we, we kind of entered this place of more confidence. Cause we're like, Oh my gosh, even if we make mistakes and are total dumbasses, we're being more honest and people seem to like people are then more honest with us. And then we develop these like more, deeper, richer relationships, you know? So that was kind of the, the, the makeup of those conversations, you know? Yeah. I love that. So you're, you're compiling all these interviews. Um, like you said earlier, you get your, your first book, which is a compilation of, um, give us a snapshot of the scope, because I think you're incredibly humble and I, and you're, you're not saying a lot here, but you've done and achieved a lot with, your endeavor with with road trip how many books i know you guys you've got what you had a pbs series your like college course curriculum can you give us a sense of the the tentacles that the company has and 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 i think that'll reflect wider on how many lives you're actually affecting through your formats yeah so there's the there's the media side of road trip nation and there's the education side of road trip nation so the media side of road trip nation is our television series on you know pbs and direct tv and other outlets we partner with it's in like 60 million households every year um there's the books we our most recent books like new york times bestseller book yada 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 we do live events we have all this we do we do you know just it's just all different ways we share our stories which in in the world today, the 21st century media landscape, like it's just a great time to be a, a storytelling organization that owns the rights to all of our content because our video database is over 8,000 video assets. So it's kind of like a mini TED where we can just like yeah. disseminate this stuff through YouTube learning, through PBS, through boom, boom, boom. On the education side, we have a, we have a, a 
a database of 8,000 videos and a tool called Roadmap to Careers that sits on top of that database where students in 12,000 public high schools um, license that content from us. And 14 million kids a year get access to this database to kind of help them do career exploration earlier before they choose their post-secondary pathway, which is like core, core, core to our, you know, heart and mission and everything is like getting to students earlier. And the dropout rate is massive in the U.S. So helping show kids there's a sense of hope out there, you know, that like being in school is relevant and that there are lots of pathways you can do that. So the education side of what we do is super important and equally um important and, and yeah so it's that's really road termination is just one part we're about 90 employees uh about half of our 90 employees nine motorhomes um we do about 12 of these big produced road trips a year and yeah just kind of living the living the dream so <laughs> uh, it, there's there's so much again to that even but um the slow burn turns into this you know contagious amazing raging powerful fire of a movement like you said earlier like you know you wrote down like it sounds like kind of the vision statement and, and, and like the the sort of overview could you ever imagine in your wildest dreams what you the, the last two sentences you just told me about the the amount of lives you're affecting and the amount of content that's created that's just so meaningful like was that in your master plan or or is this just exceeded any and all expectations of you and your partners Oh, for sure. Like, oh yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's definitely a lot bigger than we, you know, and, and what we didn't really have, I guess we weren't your typical young entrepreneurs looking for VC capital where we're like, we're going to be the next Facebook. We were just never that in the first place, you know? So, I mean, if you would have said we'd be doing 12 road trips a year and have all these motorhomes and in half of all us public high schools, you know, that would be, we would just be like, I mean, I think about this all the time. It's like, I wish I could go back and talk to my 16 year old self and just be like, hey, this, this is how it ends up, you know, cause you're like always just so nervous and wondering. And, and even my 28 year old self, honestly, like your twenties were just brutal. Like my, my twenties were brutal for road trip nation and you know, early thirties even. I mean, it took a long, people don't realize that they think, Oh yeah, you'll just go a couple of years. And, but it just takes real sustained commitment, you know, and, and, and a real love, for what you're doing to kind of get you through those times, you know? And I think that was like the main, and that's what gets me excited about the future of work too, is like opportunity, the opportunity for more people to find things they really care about. Um, and, and, and to commit to that, you know, one of my favorite quotes from our first road trip, um, in addition to all the quotes from your interview, was a guy named Michael Jagger. He started a design firm called JDK, designed up in Burlington, Vermont. They did all Burton's design stuff. Now it's like a massive, he's just kind of a prophetic, incredible human. But I'll never forget, he told us, he said, when you magnify what it is you believe in, the world conspires to support you on your path. And I'll never forget that. It was like, I remember just thinking to myself, like, oh man, like what I really believe in matters. And if I just can be bold enough and be confident enough to really magnify it and put it out there, like the world will get my back. Like I if we're true, if we're vulnerable, if we put it out there, like there are other like-minded people out there that will come and support us and help us and grow with us. And that's just totally been the case, you know? So it's definitely not, it's hard to have so much like ego around it because like, I think any good entrepreneurs like have some humility too. They're like, okay, it's a massive, you know, co like ecosystem of people that does anything like this, you know? So 
I think that was, you know, maybe one of the keys to your success, what you just said. I mean, there's the, we've, ta- we've, we've heard a, a few highlights from, you know, the vulnerability in the interviews um, to, you know, the world having your back when you're, when you're, when you're into it and you're energized. Um, could you share some of the other keys to your success or what, what you think makes you and your brand and your partnerships so strong and so successful? So if I'm a young you know, budding entrepreneur, I'm listening to this and I'm like, God, this guy's done so much. Like, and I'm hearing all this, but like, how do I get started? Like, what is it for me? Like, what are, what are you, do you have any keys to success you'd like to share? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of it is, is just people, you know I mean? That's like, I mean, from wife, marriage, business partners, everything. It's like, just surround yourself with really good people. You know I mean? I know it's a cliche, but it's just really, really true. And, and, and like, yeah. And, be really reflective. Like you'll be in foxholes with them. There might not be bullets flying, but that way there will be everything else flying, you know? And, and it's a great life experience to like go through just the, and you have to kind of like surround yourself with people who love suffering and groveling, you know, and, um, and who can kind of go through that journey with you and, and then just be, just have like the time for assholes I think is gone. Like you just like, I, I just think the world is too interconnected you know, the old saying about like, nice guys finish last, like now it's like nice guys finish first, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, the world is too interconnected. No one w- wants to work with assholes. And it's like, I-, I do think that those people back in the day when it was like mono mono or whatever, like you could kind of get away with being shady. And maybe it's just the field that I'm in, which is education and media, which is like, but, and of course there's, you know, idiots out there, but by the, for the most part, the deeper into it I get, it's like the people at the top are like really good people. And, and, and if they weren't, they would have gone spit out somewhere along the way. And, and I, I think one of the sad things that happens is that like really nice, good people get like egos later, you know, and it's like they lose the same realness that got them there. And I think that's just, but, but for the most part, like it's, it's, it's just so important to be just like a good person first, you know, with like high integrity, a good, a good partner, you know, like, you know, and, and have confidence. And, um, I, I don't know. I just think all that is like, just, just the basic stuff, you know, and then just like full commitment, like not half commitment, like whatever you choose, it doesn't matter what you choose. Like it could be the weirdest thing ever. It could be flowers. It could be kombucha. It could be a podcast. Like it can be anything, but the main thing is just full on committing all the way in bleeding all the way through, you know, and over a sustained amount of period. And, and as long as it's something you really believe in, then you're, that's the most important thing. Like we were lucky. We found something we really believed in. It was something as weird as a road trip, you know? And I, and I, I believe like everyone has things they really believe in, but not everyone is told that it can be a career. And so people abandon that stuff, you know? And so it's just really honoring the things that you really care about, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I also agree with you back to your other point about, you know, no one wants to work with assholes. And I, I do believe it's a generational thing. And those, those, I think that's very real. Um, you know, I feel like maybe I, the, the, what am I, Gen Xers, probably the last stronghold of that, um, that type of movement where the sort of authoritarian, you know, keep the employees under your thumb kind of thing. I, I think that was a real, that was a, that was a modality. That was a, right. I mean, and I I think probably in part, like, you know, of course I I think back to my career and 
And I think about when I sat on top of that pyramid and I, I now that I've had some space and time to digest, you know, listen, I'm not going to beat myself up too much because I was a very young, you know, I started the company like 23, 24, and you know, we were, we were global and, you know, within the next, you know, before I was 30 and, and had meaningful sales. And I, what did I know? You know, yeah. I, I didn't know anything. And all I knew was maybe some of the modeling from what I had seen. And, and I, I don't think a lot of it was very healthy, Mike. I, you know, yeah. and, and I'm happy to hear you say that. And I think you're the representative of the new guard and, and this, and I don't think, that we're going back to the way things were. And I agree. I think I agree with you. I think the nice guys are the ones finishing on top and I couldn't be happier, you know, totally. for, for your situation and, and that this uh, sort of generationally has phased itself out. Um, so what motivates you and continues to push you post exit? Because I think for those people listening that are, through what what we've talked about you know they've been in the foxholes they've 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 dealt with partnerships they've they've had the exit um you know you know even speaking for myself you know i after 20 years was kind of done um i think i felt like i've done what i could do within the clothing business or, or just i was just ready for the next challenge how do you stay motivated and passionate I mean, I understand you have a, a healthy partnership dynamic in your 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 new partners uh, via the acquisition seem to be um, very enabling and, and kind of supportive of your. But how do you personally bring it every day to work? Like, where do you find that energy? Is there what and what is left to do? Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, it's a good question, and. Um... Yeah. I mean, to me, it was almost like the true test of my belief in what I was doing was like, yeah, take your ownership away from it and see how much you really care about it. You know, like, and, um, is this just something I was like trying to build? Cause in the back of my head, I wanted to sell it or something and move on to the next thing, you know? Um, and it was actually a really cool feeling, which was like, after that whole happened, I was like, no, I want to, I want to stick around and like build this thing, you know? Um, so it was, it was a really cool experience. And, and yeah, I mean, I still, you know, we're just about to release, um, road trip nation doing a, a road trip next year, focused on formerly incarcerated populations, which, mm. you know, to talk about vulnerable populations from an employability standpoint, there are so many ways the system is set up to just keep them down, you know, and, and trying to amplify the successful stories of formerly incarcerated people who transition in employable settings and career pathways to inspire. You know, we met this guy who, was watching our show in San Quentin. He was in San Quentin for 10 years. And uh, he was like, PBS was the only, mm. you know, channel that was let in because it was public broadcasting. He's like, I watched your episodes, you know, in, in there. And I watched the coding ones and it inspired me to get into a coding, a coding boot camp in San Quentin. And now, you know, I'm out and he's doing all these awesome things. We're actually partnering with him now on this. Um, I can't really release the partner yet because it's not, put, put, you know, fully, yeah. fully released. It's a, it's a really big partnership and it's a really kick-ass 2020 road trip nation, you know, uh, project for next year. But there's just, I just like the white, the blank canvas of just being able to design new road trips and design new extensions of work. It's still really creative for me. And I mean, I have to eat our own dog food and, you know, the day that it's, that it's like not inspiring anymore. I I'll need to like reinvent myself and refresh myself and, and maybe that day will come, you know, but right now I'm still really 
motivated and galvanized. And I, I love our team. I love all of our employees. Like it's, I love the culture, the family, everything, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, right now I'm just like full on, full on all the way in. So oh, man. Um, yeah. do you, do you go currently or would you in the future, are you completely done from doing, getting back in the RV and like dusting off the mic and getting after it like you used to, or like, yeah. is that even of interest to you anymore? Or I mean, you know, I'm really more passionate about, I think, designing the organization and the effort and the enterprise, you know, like that's like, and I'm also not the best person to do it. Like, I do think that like, there's something about believing what you do, but it doesn't mean you're like stoked and happy every day. Like, you know, I still deal with a lot of stuff. Sure. Act, like sure. My, my next meeting is a finance meeting, you know, and, and like, and, and all that, you know, which isn't like my passion, my, but I believe in road trimation. So I do all that stuff. If I could have it my own way, and it was like just about the Mike Mariner happiness show, like I would be on the road in the motorhome filming because I love filming. I'm passionate about filming and talking to people and all that stuff, but I, it's not what's best for Road Trip Nation. And so what's best for Road Trip Nation is me like, you know, being the steward of Road Trip Nation and protecting it. And, and, and that's kind of my thing, which I take very seriously. Uh, and there are people here that do that a lot better than I do, you know? So I, I, I don't think you'll see me going back on the road. I also have two little kids, which is like, the most important thing, you know, it's funny. Family does change everything. And like road formation is also a part of my family, I feel like, but like family's the most important thing, you know? And so that's you know, anything that takes me away from my family is just not going to happen. You know? So I, so the days of living in a motorhome aren't really happening anytime soon. Right. So. right. Well, being mindful of your time, I do have a couple more questions if it's okay. Um, yep. so awesome. So we, um, we talked about some, you know, your motivations and, and your successes. Um, in a minute ago, you mentioned, you know, going into finance meeting. Like for me, um, in in my professional career, um, you know, going and and dealing with finance and and the and the, the accounting team and the CFO was like the worst room you could put me in. And not because those people weren't wonderful people; they were, in yeah. fact. Uh, yeah. It was something that was my own insecurity. Um, it, can you share with us in your business sort of your biggest vulnerability? Like where do you really – when you get that that meeting planner come up and you're like, ugh. Like, or, or what do you feel like, um, you know, you, you, you're shying away from something that in fact deep down and in your gut it's pulling at you that you're like, Mike, you really should be engaged in X, Y, Z. Like what is that to you? Huh. Oh, shoot. That's a good question. Um, I would say it was the finance stuff too until we got this new CFO lady who's like just kick ass and so good and so smart. So I, I've been enjoying mm. learning and growing in that area and getting a little more – just a little bit more have a little personal growth from like a finance number standpoint and just thinking about it as like the health of road trip and everything. Um, but, um, it's probably just more, you know, I mean, I, my, I, I, I definitely surround myself with like act activators, you know, people who can like run with tasks. I'm not super great with, you know, operational stuff. And, and like, luckily my business partner, Brian and Nathan in particular are just super good activators. And like, my, my wife is a really, I somehow like, you know, I, I've surrounded myself with activators. Cause like, I'm more like, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm always thinking about what's the next thing. What's the next thing. What's the next thing. But I, I have to be really careful. You know, I have to, 
I have to put myself the highest and best use, but I also have to be honest and, and have some humility around my shortcomings as well. And I feel like that's the secret of like any person or business or anything. It's just like humility. You are not going to be good at everything. So really find people to help put yourselves together as a puzzle, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, anything that involves like follow through on little tiny things is like a major weakness for me, but, but, <laughs> but I try to appreciate and have gratitude for all the people I work with, you know, really closely who we kind of like do everything together. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I love being out on the road, you know, traveling and all that stuff, but it's just, it's the balance of everything. So it's just, it's, uh, you gotta keep, keep it all in harmony, you know? Yeah. I hear you, man. And, it, and it's tough, man. I know you're, I mean, I have on a microcosm know what you're dealing with on a daily now. It's, it's been a while. You know, I'm out here on a farm in Idaho, so I'm yeah. I'm a bit removed from living the dream. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have my own struggles. Oh my god, we had a situation with goats this morning. But anyway, um, it's the the struggle is real, but in a completely different universe. Um, so at the end of my uh, podcast, I like to ask um, questions for my kids segment real quick. Yep. Uh, so Jack, age 10, asks, what's the longest road trip you've been on? Oh, man. Uh, our early road trips were all like three months. Wow. Um, but, I mean, back in the early days of Road Trip Nation, we would do campus tours when we weren't on the road. So we would, like, take our films on the road to colleges and screen them. So we would do, like, a two-month spring tour, like a two-month summer road trip, and then, like, a three-month fall tour. So we, we were on the road, like, for – eight or nine months with little breaks in between, but it was, it was, we lived in that motorhome for years. It felt like, you know? Um, and yeah, it was, it was a really formative time. You know, there's something about being on the road and just driving across America for great lengths of time, you know, where you just really reflect and you're looking forward, you know, you're not, I think people get so trapped in like stuff going on in their lives or what happened yesterday or background stuff from your life and history. It's like being on the road is so cathartic because you're just, looking forward. You're just thinking about the next milestone, you know, the next thing. And I think that's a healthy way to live. You know, it kind of helps you be more in the moment. Um, and not always thinking about what happened yesterday or everything, you know, yeah. I know. Yeah. I love that. Um, Josie age nine asks, uh, did people ever say no to you and what did you do? Oh yeah. Everyone said no. Like Magic Johnson, <laughs> Bill Gates. I mean, everyone, you know, we, we try to interview so many people and so, and we know we never took it personally. I think that's the main thing is like, just not being defensive, not taking it personally, just t taking a rejection with grace, always extending grace. You know, I find like being defensive and just does nothing for anyone. It just kind of brings out the dark sides of you. And if you can just kind of keep it, keep it higher level and always extend grace and, and that helps you move on to the next thing and stay focused on the next thing, the next person, you know, and the next, um, and don't take that. The hard thing is taking that rejection. When you get rejection, it's a wound. And so how do you, how do you not let that wound, how do you not hang out in that wound too long where it kind of like changes you? You got to just like, it's like a rock skipping on the water. You know, like if you, if you get stuck, you sink, you know, you've got to skip on to the next thing and just keep it, keep it above water and just, and then when the next, when Howard, then when Howard Schultz's assistant calls you back, you're not wounded from it. You're still, you keep it, keep it high, you know, and, and you're, you're in that good space. You have to keep it real too. It doesn't mean like keep it fake and 
fake harmony all the time, but it's just kind of like just managing your energy and not, not letting rejection bog you down, you know? Yeah. Oh, good words, man. By the way, is there anyone that still eludes you to this day that you're like, God, I just can't believe we didn't get that person on. You no, know, it is true. Um, <laughs> it is true. <laughs> so, and I did meet him once randomly and he'll never know that. But it's funny. Y- Yvonne Chouinard, founder of yeah. Patagonia. Yeah. We tried for years to get him and he, you know, he's, he's on his own program. So he's hard to get. Um, but, but yeah, I was always like, man, how are we interviewing Senator O'Connor and Howard Schultz? And we can't, we cannot get this guy, you know? Yeah. And then, and then one time I was on a surf trip to the ranch, Hollister ranch up in Santa Barbara. And my, my cousin and my brother and I just got randomly invited to this guy's house, you know, for like a, a an after surf lunch. And then he's like, Oh, we have a couple of friends that are coming. And it was, Yvonne Schnard and his wife and I sat right wow. next to him at lunch just like and I, I everything in front of me wanted to be like hey you remember know, me <laughs> I, I, I said but I, I oh I, it wasn't I, I didn't want to be angry I was I wasn't angry at all or anything like that but I, I just want to be like hey you know we really tried to interview for years whatever but he um but I didn't do it I actually it was one of the few moments where I really wussed out and said nothing <laughs> you know like yeah I actually I, I don't get that nervous in front of people, but I got nervous in front of him. Just like, well, respect. talk about, yeah. so you talk about, you know, the new guard and, and the way to have a successful company by being, you know, an amazing leader. Uh, you know, I mean, I've never been an employee there. I've read the book and I, I know enough about the man to know he's probably, you know, the, the leader of the movement you and I are discussing as far as, so true. you know, how, true. how to be a leader. Um, that had to be tough. Yeah. Um, so- yeah, man. And you know, what's funny is like, I think if you guys would have turned to each other and talk, like, I think there's a lot of kindred spirit there. And I think he would have really appreciated, you know, where you come from and, and certainly likewise. And, uh, the world, the world needs that episode, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So lastly, uh, George asks, uh, my, my six-year-old son, um, why did you paint a green? You've already answered, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was on sale at Home Depot, you know, like yeah. now, now everything's green, you know, our, our, our walls of our office, our, our logo, our website, our books, everything's like, but it's just like, yeah, it was just, I mean, good example, like to not overthink things. Right. I think people spend so much time having to be certain of things, you know, like we have a rule or I have a personal rule. It's an 80% rule. Like if you're 80% sure about something, just do it. You know, the final 20, 20% you will spend just destroying yourself over the analysis. And it's also a, a lesson in just like trusting your instincts, you know, like if you think the green will look cool, just, just buy it. Don't, you don't need a branding panel and, you know, just, um, if you're 80% sure you're give, give it a shot, you know, if it fails, it's okay. Bounce back and try something else, you know? Yeah, man. No, I love it. I, I, I literally have a hundred more questions, but I know you got to go. Um, you've been very gracious with your time. We had a little technical difficulty in the beginning. So, um, <laughs> I, I appreciate you, and um, I'm always energized when I get to talk to you. Um, we don't do it enough. Um, thank you for your time. Oh, can you, um, if someone wants to, you're st- obviously still doing, you're creating road trips. You've got all these RVs oh, out. Yeah. If, yep. if someone wants to get in touch with you, or not you, or your company, yeah. um, and, 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 and possibly get on a, on, a, on a crew, how do they yep. do that? Is that at the university level? Can they get on your website? What do they do? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go to roadtripnation.com. Um, and there's a whole, we have a whole, you can see all of our road trips, all of our contents, open access from all the road trips. 
Um, you can click all the way down at the bottom and it says, you know, contact us. Just it's info at roadtripnation.org. Um, we have a phone number. You can call us. Um, yeah, anything. I mean, we're, we're pretty accessible, you know, all of our stuff's there. So, well, you know, it's like I said, it's always a pleasure. Um, it's really, it puts a smile on my face to see you at the level you're at now. And yeah. And thank uh, you. I mean, you were definitely role model for me in the early years looking, I mean, you guys, the entrepreneurship with passion and authenticity and everything like, you know, all you, I mean, we looked up to you guys a lot in the early days, you know, so it was, it's all about paying it forward, you know, like every generation precedes the next. And, um, yeah, that's what it's all about. You know, the, the the ball keeps bouncing. So totally, man. Well, that's why I like doing these podcasts and, and talking to inspiring people like yourself. And, you know, look, it's my, it's my small give. Like it's, it's just, it's a, I hope that people listening to this and certainly you had a million nuggets today. There's some things that I wrote down while you were talking, but, um, you know, thank you for sharing. And, uh, you know, I think, um, sky's the limit for you, dude. And I'd love to see it. So thanks, man. Likewise, you're the man. Thanks for the inspiration. Thanks, Mike.